0: You are listening to a Victoria Labang podcast. Our devotion to Jesus must be much more than our devotion to our family. Learn more on this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Today we are continuing our series on I Wish Jesus Didn't Say That. Can we all say the title of this series? I Wish Jesus Didn't Say That. And you know, the topic for us this afternoon is rather controversial. It's hitting right at the very heart of what we're trying to build. And we're going to be looking at one of the hard sayings or teachings of Christ, particularly in the area of family. You know, two weeks ago, we talked about loving your enemies. How many of you have started, by the grace of God, loving your enemies? How many of you started doing that, praying for them, you know, blessing them? God bless you! Like that, no? Blessing <laughs> them, uh, you know, being, doing good to them. You know it's not natural, but somehow Jesus has taught us how to be able to respond positively, even if they have hit us negatively. Last week, uh, you know, Chinky talked about selling everything you have. This is one of the misunderstood verses in the Bible: "Sell everything you have and give to the poor." You know, we're not called by God to live a poverty life. How many of you know that? You know, we're not supposed to take a poverty vow. You know, uh, you know, I believe that God wants to bless us. But the reason why God is addressing this particular rich young ruler was because money was an idol in his heart. And whatever idol we have, how many of you know that God demands that idol from us? You know, God is a jealous God. He will share us with no other. But how many of you believe that God's heart is to bless His people? Amen. How many of you would like to be blessed? Okay. How many of you would like for your neighbor to be blessed? Okay, Okay. turn to the person beside you and tell that person, God bless you. Maganda, maganda. God bless you. Yeah. Okay, you know, we're expecting that. I believe that's the heart of God. He called Abraham a blessed man. Okay, but today, as uh, we're talking about this thing, we're going to be looking at a very disturbing verse. You know, as we continue on our series on uh, I Wish Jesus Didn't Say That, there is another hard saying of Christ. When He said this, If anyone comes after me, and does not what? Hate his family, he cannot be my disciple. Now, how many of you would like to become a disciple of Christ? But how many of you would like to hate your family? For some, it's natural, right? hate na hate. But anyway, it's the other. But you know, for some, for many of us, it's not natural. We love our family. We love our mom, dad. We love our children. We love our wife, our husband. But what does Jesus mean when He talked about this? in the Bible, and we're going to be reading in the Scripture right now. I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14. We're going to be reading from uh, verse 25 to 33. This is a really interesting verse and teaching of Christ that may be misunderstood, but I believe that hopefully today we're going to be clarified what this really means. Okay, verse 25, it says, Now great crowds, everybody say, great crowds. Accompanied him and he turned and said to them. Let's all read this verse 26. Ready? 1, 2, 3. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Last verse. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the preaching of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give us once again a heart to obey, a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you in your heart for your people. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Change our mindset. Break the follow ground. And I thank you, Lord, God, that out of this, our God will come change from inside out. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we all be seated. During this time, as we have read the popularity of Jesus is becoming greater. There's a huge crowd that's following Him. You know, now it says in verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied Him. Everybody say, great crowds. Now how many of you love great crowds, especially in Mega Mall, you know? I don't think you like great crowds in Mega Mall, especially during a mega sale, right? You know, it's uh, sometimes crowds can be annoying, but crowds you know, are sometimes very helpful. You know, this particular crowd that's following Jesus, part of this crowd is the original 12. You know, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and all the rest, Matthew, and, uh, and James, and Zealot and so on and so forth. These were the original disciples that he called out of their particular occupation. Peter and Andrew and James John were fishermen. Matthew was a, a tax collector. So he called them out from where they were and he, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men." So they were following Jesus for a while. Again, a part of the crowd may be those who were following him, maybe because of different reasons. How many of you do crowds follow Jesus because of different reasons? Maybe some are following him because of his teachings. Maybe some are following him because they were able to eat some of the food when Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. Maybe some are following Him because they've experienced a miracle. Maybe they've experienced healing. Maybe they were one of those who want to experience healing. Maybe they were one of those who have needs. And so, different people in the crowd have different reasons why they were in that crowd. And there were probably some of those who are just following the crowd. How many of you know that sometimes if there's a crowd, you follow the crowd? O, ano meron? May away ba? May away ba? Parang, you know, sometimes we will like following the crowd. Sometimes we, you know, we think that if there's a crowd, there's probably something that's delicious or something like a sale or something like a good deal. There's a story, of course, we've heard of some testimony of people who actually followed the crowd in this place, in the mall. They were walking in the fourth floor. They saw a big crowd waiting outside. They followed the crowd inside. They saw the music. They thought it was a concert. And then they got saved. How many of you sometimes crowds can be helpful? Because they came in, stepped in and sent, and then they become a part of this church. But yet, at this particular point in time, Jesus was not really interested about crowds. You know, corporations would actually have surveys and ratings and SWS and Pulse Asia. And sometimes even politicians would use this to be able to determine their popularity or their rating with the crowd. You know, some people or some companies would engage the services of a uh, survey company in order for them to find the customer satisfaction. How are we faring with our competitors? What's the idea of customers? How do they like our products? You know, for pastors, you know, of course, if you were a pastor and there's a big crowd, kind of like this, look around you. Isn't this a big crowd? But how many of you know that this is a crowd of disciples for Jesus? Amen. Diba? Sabi mo sa mo, kasama ka doon. Alright? But yet we see here that Jesus was not at all interested in being popular with the crowd. When he saw that this particular crowd was getting big, he thought of teaching something to them to start sifting the crowd and start determining who's really a disciple and a follower of Christ. In fact, one particular passage that comes to mind was in John chapter 6. This was the chapter when Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish fed the 5,000, and the crowd got satisfied with the food that they wanted to make Jesus king. Can you imagine? Pinakain lang gusto ng gawing hari. kababaw sometimes ang crowd. Now, they started following Jesus, and, and Jesus started teaching them the truth about Himself. And He said this. In John chapter 6, He said, I am the bread of life. You know, Do not work for food that spoils. And He's talking about you need to work for food that will give you eternal life. And then he said this statement, "Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me." Wow. Is Jesus talking about cannibalism this time? Lord <laughs> na? No. But it was a spiritual picture. But what he's talking about is, I'm going to offer my body, I'm gonna offer my blood because out of this body and out of my blood will come your salvation. But they didn't get it. And this is what happened. When they heard the teaching of Jesus, this is what they said. This is a hard saying. Everybody say, hard saying. Who can listen to it? They started saying, Lord, ang hirap naman yan. I mean, why are you talking about eating your flesh? Ooh. Drinking your blood? Am I a Dracula? I'm not a vampire. But yet, one by one, when they heard this, they could not figure out what Jesus was trying to say. And in John 6, 6, 6. (laughs) After this, what happened? Many disciples turned back. Everybody say, turn back. And no longer walked With Him. Can you imagine? These are not just the observers. These are not ordinary people who are trying it out. These are what? Disciples following Him for quite a while. And yet because of the hard teachings of Jesus, they said, we couldn't take it. We can't handle the truth. We can't handle what you're teaching us. You know what? Salvation is free, but following Jesus can be costly. Amen. How many of you know that you are saved as a free gift? The reason why we're saved is because of the free gift of Jesus Christ. Amen. It was given to us. You cannot work for it. And yet, when you talk about following Him, when you talk about discipleship, when you talk about picking up your cross daily, it can be costly. Christianity is definitely a hard journey. You know, if you look at the Bible, the emphasis of lordship is just so interesting over savior. Many people look at Jesus as a Savior. They just look to Jesus as a fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. I need a Savior. I want you, Lord, to become my personal Savior. Okay, you stay here in the corner of my room, okay? Just stay there. Don't be noisy, Lord. I will do what I want. But as long as I put you there, you are my Savior, okay? Deal? Cross your heart and hope I die. No, you die. Something like that. So, You know, We think that Jesus is just a small Savior in the room. But guess what? Jesus is not just Savior. He is Lord. He demands to be Lord and He is rightfully Lord. He is ruler and master. He's the one who calls the shots. In fact, if you see the emphasis of Scripture, 637 times it was mentioned in the New Testament that He is Lord. More than 7,800 times it was mentioned in the entire Bible. The emphasis was what? Lordship. And how many times was Savior mentioned in the New Testament? 24 times only. In the whole of the Bible, it's 38. How many of you know that there is more emphasis in Jesus being Lord over Savior? But yet many times, we only look to Christ as Savior and not submit to Him as Lord. This is a hard teaching. Pastor, busina lang konti. You know, but this is really what Jesus is talking about. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, let's go to the verse. There's other verses in the Bible that we can actually talk about, but let's just focus on these few verses that we are now uh, studying. In verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not, what? Hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It says, He cannot be my disciple. So what is, you know, how do we follow Jesus in this particular verse? Are you ready for the answer? Hate your family. (laughs) Are you sure, Pastor? Is that what Jesus said? Hate your family. That's what we read. But what does it really mean when God or Jesus said, hate your family? You know, I remember this story of uh, Dr. Billy Graham. How many of you are familiar with Dr. Billy Graham? Dr. Billy Graham is one of the well known evangelists in America. In fact, I think he's still alive at the age of 91 or 92. He started at the age of, uh, I don't know, 20 plus in 1947 when he was a young evangelist. Uh, His biography was entitled Just As I Am. And he was recounting how during that time he was called to preach in a meeting in Alabama, his wife Ruth was pregnant with their first child. And it so happened that that particular day she was having labor pains. But he was scheduled to go to Alabama to preach. So it was a choice. Will he stay with his wife, Ruth, or will he go to preach the gospel in Alabama? Guess what it shows? He told his wife, You're still in labor anyway. Hold it. I'll go for a while, I'll be back. He left that morning, but that same night she gave birth to their first child. Gigi, she was born. And that was actually part of the biography of Billy Graham. You know, if you look at that particular story, is this what Jesus meant in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 when he said, Hate your father, mother, your wife, your children. Don't take care of them. Just neglect them and just do the work of the ministry. Is that what Jesus is emphasizing here? Uh, In 1949, in a revival meeting in Los Angeles, you know, this, according to his uh, biography, uh, Dr. Billy Graham, in his book, again, Just As I Am, was saying that this particular time, it was the watershed or the breaking point of his ministry. For eight straight weeks, he was preaching the gospel, nightly meetings, every single night. There was a meeting there for eight weeks. Can you imagine? I mean, that was two months of preaching straight. It says here, you know, every night, 7.30, about 6,000 free seats. So you can imagine the revival there. At the end of the eighth week, you know, one of uh, the sisters of his wife came to attend the meeting. And Dr. Billy Graham was glad. You know, he was seeing, you know, part of the family to be there attending the meeting. And so after the meeting, he went down from the pulpit. He saw this sister-in-law of his carrying a baby. And he asked, wow, whose child is that? That's a cute child. Whose child is that? Guess what? She said to him, "This is your baby. This is your second born, and that was Anne." And my, you know, if you thought this is the picture now of uh, Billy Graham together with the second uh, born, Anne Graham Lotz, you know. But my question is: Is this right? The prioritizing of ministry over family. Is this what Jesus meant when He said, "Come, follow Me," and hate? the others what does this word hate mean how many of you sometimes feel this word hate it's a regular emotion how many of you sometimes have had hate in your heart i am raising up my hand both hebrew and greek means the same in in hebrew it's sone everybody sone not sone the company but sone s a n e okay And in in Greek, in the New Testament, it's misseio which both means hate, to detest, to, uh, to be unloved, to abhor, to be hostile. I mean, is this exactly what Jesus was talking about when He said hate? Let's go to the Scripture. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 37 Joseph the dreamer, how many of you are familiar with Joseph the dreamer? The story of Joseph the dreamer, he had a dream that is going to be greater than his brothers. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they what they hated him even more. The word hated here means hostile, they hated him to the core, they hated him to the point that they wanted to kill him. Remember that? They said, Let's kill this young boy. And so, the eldest son the brother Reuben said don't kill him let's just put him in a cistern and later on we can actually just sell him so he was thinking he could actually save his brother joseph but eventually the brothers the 10 brothers sold him a slave to egypt but of course that's part of god's plan but the word hate here came out and it means hostile now there's another verse wherein this word hate came out and it means a little bit different and this is between the story of jacob in the story of Jacob and his two wives, Rachel and Leah. Now, this is not meant for you to follow the example of Jacob, okay? I'm very careful here, okay? Okay, this is, you know, gotta, you got to read what is being taught in the Bible, okay? In just chapter 29, verse 30, And he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years, when the Lord saw that Leah was what? Hated... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. My question there is, did Jacob really hate Leah? I don't think so. But this was used as a way to compare his love for Rachel, which is more than his love for Leah. What the Bible is saying is, compared to his love for Rachel, his love for Leah is almost like hatred. Because he was not given favor. In the New Testament, this word hate comparatively was also used in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The Bible says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How I many of you know that God does not want any competition? Of course, right? So what is being used here is not really hostile but a comparison because money can sometimes become an idol in our life. But how many of you really hate your money? How many of you hate and are hostile to your money? Come on. I hate my money in my bank account right now. I don't want anything. Hmm? How many of you feel that way? If you don't like it, we're going to take an offering right now here, right in front. Put your wallets here because you hate your money. No, it's a comparison. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, right? But we need the money. But yet, in this particular verse, it's a comparison. Compared to your love, I hope you don't love money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Now, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now, this is talking about the opposite. The word hate here is actually hostile hate. He who hates his brother is a murderer. Akala sabihin, Lord, hate your brother. And now this one is talking about, He who hates his brother is a murderer. Ano ba talaga, Lord? Make up your mind naman. Litong-lito na rin ako eh. Kakaaral dito eh. No, the word hate here is talking about if you're hostile to a brother, to a fellow Christian, to a believer, one who's worshiping the Lord with you. How many of you have cases like that? Don't raise your hand anymore. This is what the Bible is saying. If you hate your brother, you are what? tao ka. You are a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I don't think that is what the Lord is talking about when you talk about hate. Because how many of you know that Jesus cannot contradict himself? And the Bible cannot contradict itself. Because scripture always supports scripture. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, another item, okay? We'll just do it slowly, but we're going to move fast in a while, okay? If anyone says, I love God, and what? Hates his brother, he is what? A liar. How many of you know people like that? taas ng kamay. Lord, I worship you. And then when you saw the brother that you hate, hmm? Go to hell, di Then you worship. I mean, how can you reconcile those two emotions in your heart? I mean, you're worshiping the Lord, you're giving your best, and you're just enjoying the presence of God, and then you saw someone who offended you for anything. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen not seen. Now let's go back to the verse, verse 26. Now what is this verse now trying to tell us? Is this hostile hate or is this comparative hate? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, this is what comparative hate. Everybody say, ah, salamat. Comparative hate It means that your love for your parents or your siblings or your wife or your children should be nothing compared to your love for God. In fact, another parallel verse that we can see here is in Matthew chapter 10. And it says in Matthew 10.37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. If you put your father or mother above your love for Jesus... He's talking about, how can you be my disciple? There shouldn't be any comparison. There shouldn't be any comparison when it comes to your commitment to Him. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In fact, the Apostle Paul is encouraging that we become responsible to the people in our own household. when He said, that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has what? Denied the faith and is... Worse than an unbeliever. Think about that for a moment. You know, if there's someone in your household that you don't even take care of, the Bible says you are worse than an unbeliever. This is a responsibility that we have for our family. You know, I remember 25 years ago when I said my marriage vows to my wife. I remember this particular statement that the minister asked me. He asked me, Pastor Steve was the one who ministered our wedding 25 years ago, February 24, 1990. And he asked, Ariel, do you take this woman to be your wife, to love her, comfort her, honor her, provide for her, forsaking all others and cling only to her as long as you both shall live? Guess what I said? Of course! No, I said I do. Of course, I said I do because I, that is the commitment that I'm making from that time on to my wife. And when the minister said, forsaking all others, what does that mean? It means that, does that mean that I'm going to forsake everything that I have already with my father, my mother? Hindi na kita kailangan. Ayoko na makita. I mean, does that really mean that? Or my siblings, my brother, Bernard, or, or my sister, Christine, you know, forsaking all others, surely na lang you and me against the world. But in the area of loyalty and love, my loyalty shifted that day. You know, if there's a toss between a conflict between my parents and my wife, Shirley, guess whose side I will be on. Of course, my parents. No, no, Shirley. Not my parents, but Shirley. My loyalty shifted that day I said I do. I used to have my parents as my priority, but the moment I said I do, it now shifted to Shirley. And guess what? Shirley is now the most important relationship that I have on this planet. Human relationship, it cannot be compared with any other because she is my wife and I gave this vow. That is what it means for, you know, compared to my father and mother. I love them. I still visit them. You know, last week was my father's birthday. I was there. We were all there celebrating. I love them. But nothing compares to my love for Shirley. That is what forsaking all others mean. In fact, if someone, one of my friends, for example, from, from the office would ask me, Bro, bike naman tayo sa Monday because of my love for Shirley since that is my only day off. And if Shirley expects me to have breakfast with her, early in the morning, I would politely say to my friends, I'm sorry, but I cannot join you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have to be with my wife and I will have breakfast with her and bike with her. Something like that, okay? Did you get the point? Compared to my relationship with God, Shirley's relationship with me or my relationship with Shirley is nothing compared. My relationship with God. That is what it means. The level of love, the level of affection should not, not be compared to that. I hope you get the point. Now, what do we do in some cases? For example, if there's a teenager who's attending the church and the parents are not saved and they prohibit or they bar the kid to attend the church, what would You do, Pastor (laughs) Edray. Do we choose Christ or do we choose the practice? You know, it doesn't mean that if you don't come to the service that you are forsaking Christ already. We're here and we're called to honor our father and mother You may actually say to your parents, you know, I am of age already. I know what to do. I'm already 14 years old. Don't talk to me like that. No, you are to approach your parents with respect, with honor, because that is what the Bible says. And who knows? Because you decided to honor them, that God will open up their heart so they may also receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the way to do it. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. But there's no hard, fast rule here. I'm not doing a blanket statement. For example, what if you are a wife and you have an unbelieving husband? You have a spouse who is not a believer. And the husband is saying, praise, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Don't go to that church anymore. What do you do? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that a believing wife sanctifies the believing husband and even the children are made holy because of the believing wife. It's about your relationship with Christ. It's not about you coming to church or it's not about you coming to the s- uh, small groups. It's about your relationship with the Lord. Don't confuse church with your walk with God. I cannot confuse my ministry with my relationship with the Lord. That's Different scenarios. My walk with the Lord is totally different from me becoming a pastor. Ministry is not about forsaking all others so that I can do and preach the work of the gospel. Now, if I were Billy Graham and if I were to have my first child, I would probably delegate that preaching engagement to Pastor Edray. Kondalang bala. Because my wife is giving birth. And I'm going to stay with my wife. Because I believe God wants us to prioritize our family as well. We're not to confuse the two. okay? Church, yes, it's important. It's important to have church. But our relationship with Christ is totally different from that. It's our walk. It's our personal relationship. My, you know, and there's just so, so many things to talk about that. What if you have a family business? And in your family business, your your siblings are actually talking about, you know, just do under-the-table deals, don't pay your taxes. What if you're a born-again Christian? What would you do? Would you actually still practice the family business? Or would you say no to that practice? Christ is more important than business. There's a particular story, Widen King. You probably know the story of the founder of the Anito Lodge. He got saved 1992. He got born again. And he got so convicted about the practice of the family because they are the biggest motel chain in the Philippines. They're located in Pasay, in, in Manila. Of course, you know the kind of business that they actually engage in, right? It's immoral. He got so convicted. and He said, I cannot do this anymore. See, when he got saved, he said, I'm going to close my business for the glory of God. Can you imagine? He actually closed his business. This was actually the 14th motel in Kalooka, and He closed it because he said, "I wanted to please the Lord, but yet God gave him a new strategy. No longer will you call your hotel Anito. Anito means idol. You're gonna change it and call it Kabayan Hotel." <laughs> he relaunched it, and it was actually a hit. And he started doing a family-oriented hotel chain, following the Lord. Honoring His name because ultimately He's accountable to God and not His family. Amen? That's the way to do it. How do we become a follower of Christ? Hate your family. Look at the person beside you. Hate your family. No, what that really means is love God above your family. Love God above your family. Choose God. In the process, you're ministering to your family. Let's go to the next verse. In verse 26b, it says, And does not hate even his what own life. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, in this particular case, Jesus is now moving from your relationship with your family to now your very own. Do you see the progression? Two weeks ago, we talked about loving your enemies. These are the people that you have And that they know you from a safe distance. Your enemies, your friends. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But yet God is talking about, give them up for me. Bless them. Even if it's unpopular, pray for them. Love them. Now he moved to the family. A little bit more personal. The circle is smaller. These are the people who know you the most. These are the people who are closest to you. These are the people that are standing with you no matter what. And yet God is saying, hate them. Your love for them should actually be nothing compared to your love for me. And now, Jesus is moving no longer in the personal, but now in the private world. Now, Jesus is addressing the issues of the heart. No, I'm not talking about just your family. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your mind. I'm talking about your emotion. I'm talking about your will. I'm talking about your mindset. I'm talking about your accomplishments. I'm talking about your dreams, your ambition. I'm talking about your vision, your plan for the future. I'm talking about everything that represents you. I'm talking about your identity. That's who we are. Carry the cross. Deny ourselves and follow Him. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. In other words, how do we become a follower of Christ? Hate your life. Tell the person beside you, hate your life. What does that mean? Does that mean you should just eat chicharon the whole day? Let's don't sleep, drink all the booze, take drugs, don't exercise, destroy my life. You know, Is that saying that? I don't think so. But hate your life is talking about denying ourselves. You know, because I realize that many times we're always after self-promotion. We're always after self-preservation. If there's one thing that we would like to preserve, it's me, mine, and I. Right? We always, you know, put the blame on others. Pero ako, The reason why there are different kinds of phobia. Think about that. Why is there such a claustrophobia? Fear of death, or a fear of sickness, or a fear of, foggy, or a fear of height, or whatever, fear of taking a bath. Why is it there's so much fear? It's because we fear losing our life, ultimately. It all boils down to the myself. It boils down to protecting ourselves. It boils down to protecting our turf, our territory, but yet God is now asking, don't just give me your possession. Don't just give me your enemies. Don't just give me your neighbor. Don't just give me your family. Give me your life. Give me yourself. Give me your future. Give me your business. What's your identity? For the Jews, this is very important because the identity that they had was their family. They always thought about their family. It was so important. When Jesus was addressing that particular issue on the family, it was hitting to the core. But yet, Jesus did not stop there. He moved on towards, now give me everything else that you have. That's why he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. For whoever would save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. How many of you would like to save your life for the Lord? Ultimately, we have to lose our life first in order for us to find genuine life. I mean, what is the life that we have? The life that we have is what? Trash. It's failure. It's marred with sin. It's marred with disillusionment, discouragement. And yet, Jesus is giving us the real life. That's why Jesus said, I have come to give you life. This is what Jesus is telling us to do right now. Hate your life. Which means love God above your life. Submit to Him. Lordship requires a lot of sacrifice and a lot of counting the cost. You've read that in the verses, the two parables of you know this guy counting of cost in order for him to build a tower remember that and if you're to go to war you've got to make an estimation if you can actually win that war if not while your enemy is far make peace with him in other words what jesus is talking about is christianity is not just a fad it's not just a simple prayer that you pray you know you think that okay in lot, everything is gonna be fine Yes, God wants to bless us. But many times what we do is we make God the means and not the end. I believe Jesus should be the end. He is not just the means. Sometimes we use Christ as the means to get something. We come to the Lord and pray and say, Bless my business. Bless my family. Bless my relationship. Bless my finances. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. (laughs) It's all about blessing. And we use the Lord as a bridge for that. It's as if Jesus was a genie in a bottle. Lord Jesus, give me three wishes. Or He's kind of like a vendo machine. When you pray a prayer, it's like a token prayer. Oh Lord, I pray. Give me an answer to my prayer. How many of you know that God wants ultimately to bless us? I mean, that's His heart. But let's not reverse or manipulate Him anymore. He knows exactly who we are from inside out. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. He's got the future at the palm of His hands. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. There's nothing to worry when you talk about the Lord. Let's just move on. I want to focus on the last verse, verse 33. So therefore, everybody say, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all, everybody say, renounce all, that he has cannot be my disciple. If you think Jesus is stopping at family or life, mistake. He wants it all. Jesus is asking for everything, not just the one thing. I believe he deserves to be given all that we have because he is Lord and Master and ruler. That is what Master means. Master means he rules, being Master means he calls the shots. Being master means he makes every decision that you have in your business, in your home, in your personal life, in your finances, in your health, in every relationship that you have. He is Lord. Jesus is not just coming for a makeover, but a takeover. Because sometimes you think that Jesus is going to make over us. You know, a makeover is something that's, you know, maybe you need to change his attitude. That's nice. Maybe you need to change his mindset. That's nice. Maybe you need to change the sin. Maybe you need to change this bad attitude or bad idea that you have or bad mouth or bad, you know, whatever. But guess what? He's not just talking about making over. He's talking about taking over every area of our life. And you know why? Everybody say why. why? Because he deserves it. And because he knows what he is doing anyway. He is the creator. He's the one who is the manufacturer. You know, the manufacturer is the one who knows the product. He's the one who knows us through and through. Even before we were born, he knew about us. He formed you in your mother's womb, right? That's why the Bible says in Psalm 139 you were fearfully and wonderfully made. In Tagalog, ikaw raw ay nakakatakot at nakagigimbal na ginawa na Panginoon. Tama ba yun? Parang gano'n ngayon. You ask Pastor Sani, okay? My last scripture as I come to an end, Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 to 8 says, "But whatever gain I had, and this is the attitude of the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul is an accomplished lawyer, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. When you talk about someone in the Jewish council, he is it. He's one who's a Benjamite, a Jew of Jew. You know, he's memorized the Mishnah and the Torah. Yet he was talking about whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. I would say everything. Everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In another translation, garbage. And even another translation, manure. Excuse me for the term. I have counted my accomplishment as manure in order that I have gained Christ. Amen? Because our accomplishment is nothing compared to what we can get in Christ. Come on now. Give the Lord a hand. If you have Christ, you have everything that you need. Because Christ plus nothing equals everything. That's the God we serve. Jesus is all in all. He's complete. There's nothing that He withheld from us. There should be nothing that we should withhold from Him. We need to give Him all. We need to surrender everything. Amen. Can we just stand up right now? Praise God. Let's lift up our hands as we worship the Lord. Father, we thank you so much. We lift up our hands to worship you, God. We thank you that as we lift up these two hands, it's a sign of surrender, God. Lord, we are surrendering to you our lives afresh. We're surrendering to you our will, our our emotions, our God, our families, even our relationships outside, our enemies, our friends, the very people that love us our businesses, our careers, our vocation. God, we surrender to you, God. This is more than a commitment. A commitment is something that we do, God. But when we surrender, it's something that we give back to you, Lord. And so, Lord, we offer to you everything that we are because you are all worth it and you deserve it all. To you be the glory. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in Victoria Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.